Good afternoon, people out there in Radio Land. Today, I think we, we're hoping that we're going to learn a little bit about Islam because it's very much in the news these days. And I'm one of these that um, there's a lot of misinformation out there, I think. And I think it'd be good to have a bit of an understanding of of some of the other faces out faiths out there in this world. And Islam, I think there's more coming up to Muslims, but Islam being one of the largest faiths in the, in the world, if I'm not correct. But Pino might have another idea. So Pino's here in the studio with me this afternoon and he's come along here because he's um, a man on a mission and he wants to share Islam with us. So welcome, Pino. Assalamu alaikum, Howard. How are, you, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good, alhamdulillah. Okay, so uh, what would you like to know? <laughs> Well, you being uh, having an English accent, so I'm a little bit curious as to how somebody that's obviously come from the UK has got a, has become a Muslim. Okay. So I was born and raised in the UK to uh, Italian parents, and um, everybody knows this that with Italians, their first religion is. Uh, Catholicism, Roman Catholic. So this was something that we we always we, we practiced when we were kids as such, you know, mum took us to the church a couple of times and we we did all the Christmases and all the Easters and stuff. But as we got a little bit older, parents tried to still take us to the church and wasn't working. So uh, we, we we stopped going to the church and the faith really got dampened down because of it you know we still believed in God and that but we didn't we weren't practicing Roman Catholics as such so but yeah that's how I got my English accent from living in the UK and um, my journey to Islam I didn't find Islam in the UK you did or you didn't I didn't okay no so it was only until I came to Australia until you came to Australia? Yeah, I found Islam in Australia. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. That's it good. is interesting. That's, that's got to be a good story in itself. Yeah, it, it is because in my 20s I had I was very unlucky in love. One day, or one evening should I say, I went down to the bottom of my mum's garden. She had a really long garden. And it was a cold, frosty night. And I just stood there and I looked up in the sky and I could see all the stars. And I just held my hands up and I just said God please just give me somebody who will st stick with me through thick and thin and it was only until I came to Australia I, I met my wife and I, I, I believe my prayers were answered over in, here in Australia not not in the UK as such you know because uh, when I met my wife I, I was then given the bonus of she being a Muslim and accepting Islam. So she was a Muslim? She was a Muslim. Or already a Muslim? She was already a Muslim. And I accepted Islam from meeting her. Yeah. So how did you come to meet her? Uh, we, we, I just bumped into her. She was with a group of friends at a cafe. And I just... And she was dressed in all the... Um, Not quite, uh, no. No. So... Because um, I don't think I would have approached her if she was wearing the... the the traditional hijab and everything. Right. But um, 
when I approached her, we, we started speaking and everything, and it just went from there. We, we stayed in contact. I had to come back to the UK a few times, but it was only until I finally decided to move here and everything, and she said to me, you, you have to become a Muslim. If you want to be with me, you have to become a Muslim. Now, there is a, there is a, a process for a man and a woman to get together, but our, our situation was a little bit different because my parents were in the UK, and... Um, my my wife, her mother had already passed away, and her father was um, didn't you know he wasn't of the in best of health. So generally in Islam, if two people want to get together, the parents have to get involved. You can't do no dating and all this, you know. Oh, crikey, it's yeah, bad enough in Australia. So, yeah. um. So was your wife um, born in Australia or? No, she's a, she's an Indonesian national. So, um, and of course, Indonesia being the biggest Muslim country in the world. Mm. Um, and uh, no question about it, she was definitely a practicing Muslim. And so, of course, when she asked me, you have to become a Muslim if you want to be with me, I accepted straight away. So we actually, we got, we did what was called the the Islamic marriage, called the nikah. We did. I accepted Islam and then did the nikah on the same day. So, did you have to go through a whole lot of process? I know, um, for instance, to become a um, uh, to be baptized in the Christianity in some branches of Christianity you have to go through a whole process to become confirmed as they call it mm -hmm. in Catholicism you have to learn a whole lot of stuff about the religion did you have to go through all of that um you what you do you you have to go they don't dip you in a bath or anything like no, that okay. right? it's uh, it's one of the five pillars of Islam and the first one is the uh, testification and uh, it's better known as the shahada and you have to repeat after the Imam in Arabic and then he will say it to you in English and you just repeat it so basically the testification is Ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna muhammadan rasulullah and it translates as um, I bear witness that no one is worthy of worship except Allah and I bear witness that Muhammad was his messenger of God. Could you just explain for the listeners, because some of them wouldn't know what an imam is. Okay, so the imam is the equivalent of, uh, say, like in Catholicism or Christianity, like a priest okay. or a bishop. And uh, the imam is our leader. So when he leads, he leads by example and we follow him. So he, the imam would lead the prayers at the mosque. And I'm interested that um, I noticed that um, your beard, unlike mine, is your, your top lip is sort of open. And and I went, uh, I met a lady um, from a dating site actually. Yeah. And she was from Indonesia, and she said, "You're going to have to shave your your, your top lip." I yeah. thought, well, No. <laughs> but apparently, I believe that Muhammad, that was how he had his. So um, yeah, a Muslim has a similar sort of a beard set up. Okay, so in Islam, generally, the moustache is not supposed to be visible. Right. It was only the, the chin from ear to ear. 
the hair, sorry, from ear to ear and just the chin covered in hair, no moustache. And the reason why um, the, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, which means peace be upon him, um, he said that, that the Muslims were just to have the chin covered and no moustache so we could tell, uh, we could separate them and differentiate them from the Christians. So we knew who were the Muslims and who were the Christians. Is that right? That's correct. So that's that's the reason behind yeah, it. Yeah, so he could tell if anybody just had the beard, no moustache, they knew automatically he was a Muslim. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, okay, you've spoken about the five pillars of Islam yes. and the first one is the testification. Correct. If I got that right. Um, so do you care to share with us what the other four are? Okay, so the second one is the Salah which is the prayer. Now, nobody can call themselves a Muslim if they don't pray. There are many people out there who claim to be Muslims, but they don't pray. It's the most important thing any Muslim should um, undertake uh, as a believer in, in one God. Um, and you have to do the compulsory five prayers a day. Mm -hmm. So the first one is before sunrise, which is called Fajr. The second one will be around middayish or just after midday, and that one's called Duhur. The third one is around sort of mid-afternoon, and that one's called Asar. The fourth one is sort of sunrise, uh, sorry, sunset. So it's at sunset. Mm -hmm. That one's called Maghrib. And then there was one uh, just towards sort of um, a couple of hours after Maghrib, and that one's called Isha. So you have to do all those. There's maybe an hour or two in between each prayer, but you have to partake and do those prayers every day. You should not miss them. If you miss one, if you miss one of the salahs, say if you miss the the say the Asad, which is mid-afternoon. And you you end up um, doing the maghrib one at sunset. You you do your maghrib, and then you have to do your asar one. You have to do the catch up one. So who does somebody keep check on this, or is this just your own conscience? It's, it's your own conscience, but uh, as a Muslim, we always believe that uh, Allah knows and hears and sees everything. Okay. Now one thing that's well, a couple of questions out of this. I've always been curious as to how this works in today's modern world of on the go all the time. Um, how does it work when somebody's working in an office and mm. you just go off and do your prayer and how mm. long does this take? And, and when you say your prayer, um, I've noticed when I used to drive a cab and the guys would have their, their mats and they go out there and they didn't, it wasn't a verbal prayer. They just sort of seemed to say it in their own head. So obviously mm. it doesn't have to be out loud. Mm. Um, but it didn't seem to last for very long, and then mm -hmm. they seemed to they seemed to be in their head down on the ground. So this is in part of the process as well. So, in other words, there's a particular way you do it. Correct. And and I understand you have to look in a certain direction. Is that right? Right. That's correct. So, before you start your prayer, you you find which uh, you find the direction which is called the qibla. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's the direction we face towards Mecca. Mm -hmm. All right. Towards the the Kaaba. The 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 black cube in Mecca. So we face towards that. 
So I just want to clear something up quickly while we're on that. There's a huge misunderstanding that misunderstanding where a lot of people think that we worship the Kaaba, this square cube, because we pray towards it. So there's this big misconception that we worship this building, and I just like to say that we don't. Oh, I've never thought that. I've yeah. always thought it's always about Allah yeah. and Muhammad's the prophet. I've, Correct. I, that's become very clear to me. It's, yeah. it's, it's always about Allah. Yeah. There's no other gods, isn't it? Um, no other gods Correct. other, other yeah. than me or something or other. Yeah. So we pray towards the Kaaba. So a lot of people use their phones or got uh, compasses and we find the direction. Here in Australia, it's northwest. Mm-hmm. And um, and of course we pray like how all the other prophets prayed before. So it was full prostration, uh, forehead, face on the floor. And uh, depending on which um, which prayer it is. So the one in the morning, the Fajr one, that one is the Imam will lead that and he will recite the Quran. Um, you'll hear him verbally. The Duhur and the Asar ones, all right, they're quiet ones. They're ones that uh, you, you, say in, mm. you know, say to yourself. They're not spoken out loud. So what do you actually say? So we have to say the, the first, uh, the opening of, uh, of the Quran. So it's the first chapter. It's called Al-Fatiha. And um, we recite that in Arabic. It's basically like the Lord's Prayer. Okay. All right. So you start off with that and then you recite something from the Quran. Now, some of the Imams, they will recite something very uh, quite long. And it will go on for a minute or two or three minutes. Or they will recite something very, very short. But we all recite everything. Um, now, there are people who can't read can't um learn anything in arabic and that is fine you know you can do it in english um but you can't say it out verbally you have to say it sort of in your heart as such so am i correct that um there is a there is a format Mm. um but but um but the, the wording the format there's a certain format, but the words can change. Is that right? And you just sort of mentioned about that if they're going to recite part of your scripture, right? Um, that, that can change. So does that affect the prayers that you're saying as well? If the imam misses mispronounces uh, the the Arabic, because there's a lot of words like in, in any language, some words will have a couple of meanings. So it's vital that the whoever recites anything from the Quran, it's important that he gets the pronunciation correct. Otherwise, he could say that something could be something else. One, What he's supposed to say, he could say that, you know, the heart and mind, or he could end up saying it wrong, and it could be the heart and the banana, you know? So it's very important that the pronunciation is... Is, is correctly done, you know, in Arabic. Okay, so we've got the. Um, so it sounds to me like you've you've learned to read and write Arabic. I can't. I don't write much Arabic. I can read a little bit, and I can recite in Arabic. Great.
you you went all in, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, um, I had a comrade that used to drive taxis, and um, he um told me his story how he came to Islam and um, he could actually read it and write it and uh, mm. um, and uh, I believe Arabic's got a beauty all of its own and, and mm. the calligraphy and whatnot that yep. they use in it is is some um, kind of thing and um, uh, his, his wasn't because he fell in love was, um, uh, I think he was just in a space where he um, he was questioning what was going on and he thought, well, I must be a Muslim because of, I forget the reasons now, but there's something or other where he was at a time mm. and a place. And I think he was just, I guess, like some people lost. Yep. Um, I do know somebody else that um, was involved in a taxi company that I was working with and um, he married a, um, I think his was wife was an Indonesian as well. Yep. So he, um, but it, it doesn't, um, so these prayers you're talking about, is that the same for women and for men? Correct, absolutely. So um, all there's no there's no a set format for the women, and there's not a set a different format for them for the man. So if a bunch of sisters want to pray together, it's exactly the same way how 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 the men do. All right, but we don't pray together. So the men and the women have to pray separately. The women have to pray behind the men. Behind the men. Yes. So in in a mosque, and I believe the mosque is the building where you say prayers, or when, Correct. You, when you meet together. Although yep. I'll get to the other bit about that in a minute. But so so is it a case where the women are on one side of the mosque, or the, and the men are on the other, or is the men in the front and the, the, the girls at the back? It, it depends how the, the how the mosque is structured. So the one I go to has an upstairs, especially for the for the sisters, and they cannot see anything. It's all it's basically just one whole room, four walls. They cannot see into the area of the men. Now, the reason why the women, if it's in an open area, the women must pray behind the men, and I'll tell you why. Because during the, the salah, the prayer, there's a part where you prostrate, it's called the ruku, where you bend down and just put your hands onto your knees. Mm -hmm. All right? Now, of course, one's backside will be pushed you know will be exposed a little bit and so of course if women was to pray in front of men men could get distracted by looking at a woman's backside so this is why it was a rule that the women was to pray behind the men so men don't look at, at the women so and it protects them as well because you know men's men's Minds can run amok sometimes, you know. <laughs> they can do. Um, interesting. So, um, so could you describe to me what it's like? You just give us a bit of a picture of what what's what's the inside of a mosque look like? Okay. So you'll never go. You'll never find in any mosque any pictures of a godly being. Or even of our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, peace and blessings be upon him. You will find a lot of uh, Arabic writing, and it's generally it's it's just it should be just quite plain. So a nice carpet on the floor. Sometimes it's a patterned carpet with lines where it shows you where all the brothers line up. Um, 
and there will be some shelves where there will be a lot of uh, Islamic books, generally Qurans or books on hadith. Um, so what's that? Hadith is just all the, the, the sayings and the actions of the, 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 the Prophet Muhammad, peace oh, be upon him. Okay. Yeah, peace be upon him. So um, so generally that's what you will find. It's, it's, very, it's very simple, it's clean. Um, you cannot go in there with your shoes. You can only go in there barefoot or with socks on. Um, you cannot wear any shoes in there at all, not even sandals. Okay, right. so there's, there's no chairs or set There are chairs in there. There are chairs, I Yeah, because you'll get a few elders that go in there and uh, gone are the days now. They, they can't bend their knees, so they'll, they, they'll have to sit on the chair. And that's no problem. They can pray in the chair. Inshallah. So you'd be familiar uh, being a former Catholic that yes. um, how a service goes and you've got a guy stands up there and, and does his preaches a sermon and then mm. leads the prayer and then they have a few hymns but I think from what you told me once before that people don't sing in, in Islam that's correct so s singing is, is is forbidden there is an exception which I, I didn't which I kept under my sleeve <laughs> for a while. but uh, singing and, and dancing in Islam is is haram. Haram means forbidden. Mm -hmm. All right, it's not permissible. But there is an exception um, to singing, and if you do sing, it has to have the remembrance of Allah or Muhammad. If you don't have, if it doesn't include that, or if it's not Islamic in any way, all right, it's absolutely forbidden. And when we had the conversation last week, Howard. I said, if you look at today's singing, you know, you can pull up in the traffic lights and somebody will have the radio on loud and they'll have Eminem on and, you know, and it's just all, yeah, <laughs> profanities. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, when the imam recites the, the Quran, some of the, some of the imams will have just such a beautiful voice. And it's very melodic the way that they recite the Quran. It, I've seen people come to tears because of it, especially if they understand what they're what what's being recited to them. And um, my 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 Imam is no stranger to that. He shed tears many times when he's when he's recited the Quran. So. Um did you actually bring an example of that? Because I'd like to put that across the air too at some stage. Um, Maybe a sample of that. Maybe we could do that in another session. If you yeah, we can do that on another session. We can we can bring um, a recording in for you. And uh, well, I think that that's. I'm curious about it. I don't know about the yeah. other people out there because I'd never even heard of that before. Mm. And um, I like to. I have a basic knowledge of a few bits and pieces of, of Islam, but um, I've learned a lot already today. Yeah, it's good. So, so yeah. this is why you know why we're doing this show, and hopefully the um, people out there in Radio Land, if I can call them that, yeah. will be the same. As should we move on to the next pillar? Sorry, we we got distracted. <laughs> no, no, sorry, it's okay. Yeah. So yeah, we can do the next pillar if you like. Yeah, sure. All right. So the next pillar is the fasting. All right. Every Muslim must fast. All right. So fasting, you can do voluntary fasting on a Monday and a Thursday, which is what the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, used to do. He used to fast on a 
Monday and a Thursday. Um, but Not when it day? Mondays and Thursdays. So twenty four hours or basically it will be before you you would get up and have something around maybe say two three o'clock in the morning have something small to eat and drink, and then once um, you do your prayer your fajr prayer um, before sunrise, you cannot eat or drink anything until sunset. Mm-hmm. That goes the whole day. Now, when we do Ramadan, it's 30 days of that. Now, the question is, is why do Muslims fast? Yes? Um, that's not necessarily a question I would ask, because um, my understanding it is in, in, um, in Christianity, there's certain um, what we call as uh, ascetics that, that fast. Mm. Um, I know it happens in quite a few spiritual traditions where people fast because mm. um, cleansing the body or whatever else right. it's a form of cleansing for some mm. people and um, it also other people it puts them into some people it puts them into an ecstatic state right uh, or a mystical state another way of uh, for other people so I, I'm not surprised that they do it's just that mm. um, and um, there's a story in the, in the for the, in the Christian tradition of Jesus going out there and fasting for 40 days and 40 Correct. nights. Yeah. So um, it's not unique to Islam. It's just that they seem to do more of it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, the, one of the reasons, or should I say, the main reason for fasting is that so we know, we think of the poor people. We think of how poor people go without food all day, food and drink all day. Interesting. And so, of course, when we break our fasting, the rule is is not to overindulge. And a lot of Muslims do that. I first started doing that when I started fasting. I didn't. Some some days I didn't even last until midday. I was coming down with headaches and everything. But uh, now I, it's not for weight loss. I can tell you now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you need to lose any weight. No. Yeah, but I constantly fast anyway, and I do it for the sake of Allah. But I just noticed um, at the risk of, um, uh, what's the word, um, interfering with your line of thought. I'm just mm. looking at you now. And, and for me, most um, Muslims that I've seen, when, um, particularly males, their clothing has been white mm. or something similar. But I notice you've got dark colours on. Correct. Is there is there a special significance in that? No, there isn't. I mean, generally in in hot countries, in in the Arab countries, they generally wear white because it obviously reflects the sunlight. And um, but there's no specific color. Um, I mean, if I could wear a this, what this is called, this is called a, either a juba or a thobe. But um, I mean, you could wear one in pink, but you'd probably get <laughs> you'd probably attract the wrong attention. But <laughs> But um, yeah, most Muslims who own a collection of soaps will have them in different colours. They're all generally sort of plain, sort of um, subtle colours, like like this one here is like a, a, a darkish blue. Mm-hmm. I've got beige, I've got white, I've got some black ones, some cream coloured ones. Nothing too loud. Um, and surprisingly, Howard, they're, they're really comfortable. I'm sure they are. Yeah. No? Okay. Right. Um, so, what was that? The second one. So that was the third one. That third was one, the, the fasting. Yep. Right. right. So the fourth one is called zakat. All right. 
zakat is um, paying money to charity. Right. Right. So you have to give money to charity. Right. So when you go into a, a mosque, and it's the same like a church, they have a little collection box. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to give money to for the poor and for the needy and everything. So, and sometimes uh, a lot of mosques collect collect money to so they can build another mosque because mm-hmm. we don't have enough of them at the moment. But uh, slowly, slowly they they they'll pop up. But um. It's compulsory to pay zakat. You should pay it. All right. You should. You should not not pay it because uh, most Muslims work, and most Muslims have money. Um, and even if you can only afford a dollar, you should pay it. But I take it it's not like um, in some sections of Christianity they're very big on tithing. So it has to be ten percent of your income. Our income is uh, our percentage is two point five percent of your wealth. Okay. Yeah. So when the when Muhammad uh, in his time, peace be upon him, he had a friend called Abu Bakr, and he was very wealthy. Mm-hmm. And when he became uh, a Muslim, he wanted to give all his wealth away. And uh, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam said. Um, don't give all your wealth away, he says, because how will you support your family? So he only gave half of his wealth. Now, generally, if a millionaire was to walk into the room today and said, I wanted to become a Muslim, he knows straight away that he will have to give half of his wealth away. So if he has, you know, a few million in, in the bank, bye-bye to half of that. Interesting. Mm. So it sounds like it's, it's quite a um, um, okay. So 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 we've spoken about the the prayers, the the testament. What was it? The the, the testament. The, um, the the prayer. The prayer. The the fasting. The fasting. And, the zakat. And zakat, which yeah. is about charity. Correct. Yeah. And who decides on the charities? Is that is that the the, the community or the yeah? Imam? So there are yeah there are some um, um, Islamic groups uh, that run like uh, charitable organisations and everything, and they ensure that this money goes to the correct people and it's spent correctly. Mm-hmm. So whether it be on for food, for clothing, for shelter. Um, and so on, you know. It's there's people out there who need that money more than us. Sure. And we we have to give it to them. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to what number five. Number five. Now this one is called pilgrimage, Hajj. Oh, okay. I've heard right. of that one. Yeah. So there is uh, there is a condition with this one, and um, if the condition is this, if you have the wealth and the health, you should go to Hajj, mm-hmm. all right? But there are those out there who live in poor countries, Indonesia being one of them, a lot of people don't have uh, much money, they cannot afford to go. So it's not held against them. If you cannot right. afford to go, all right, it will not be held against you on the Day of Judgment. Okay, so that brings up another question. Right. So was, was that... What do you want to say about the um, the the pilgrimage? Was that Hajj? Hajj, yeah, okay. Yeah. So you've just mentioned the Day of Judgment. Correct. So would you like to share with us what that's all about? Okay, so 
in our belief that when we leave this world um, we will then be resurrected mm -hmm. and then after the day of resurrection will come the the day of judgment now the day of judgment will be will, means that each and every individual will stand up in front of uh, our creator and they will be judged for all the good and bad things that they've done now it's our belief that everything that we say and that we do is recorded by the malaika or known as the angels mm -hmm. and they will have everything written down in your book. Scary. Yes. So it will be you'll be known you'll be known to you what good and bad things that you've done. So this is why we Muslims, good practicing Muslims, are very careful what they say, what they do, and so on and so on. They don't want to upset anybody. I mean, I was driving here, and. I didn't really cut this guy up, but I just passed him. I, I knew I could squeeze past him on the slip road, but he tooted at me and waved all the fingers, and I just just drove off like it never happened. So you just got to let these things go, otherwise it'll go in my book. <laughs> but the Day of Judgment is is something um, on a serious note. It's the thing that fears scares every Muslim every Muslim is scared of that that wow. and meeting our Creator Allah we're not scared of anything else we're not fear we don't we don't fear of leaving this world whether it's peacefully or painfully the fear is meeting our Lord and what the book says so um Allah to me doesn't come across as oh, I think there's been talk about he's he's, he's uh, said to be merciful. Correct. But it, it's not. Um, I haven't heard anyone talk in the Islamic sense of him being a god of love, as um, being somebody who's in merciful. Right. Um, but other than that, I haven't heard a lot about him. And and, and for me, Islam's a where somewhere where there's you've got the tradition of you praying and um, there's no other gods except. You know, that one I get. Mm. Um, Muhammad's his prophet. Um, um, what happens? Um, so is is there, there an ongoing tradition? Um, Muhammad's message is carried forth by what the Quran, or is there a special mm. tradition when it comes to become an iman? It's a, you have to be there have to be a certain amount of special training. Is there in the, um, in the, in the overall scheme of things? When you become a Muslim. And if you want to become an imam, you'll probably have to go somewhere. Most imams that I know uh, studied overseas, right. and, and they did a minimum of seven years. So only seven. Yeah. All right. And then after that, you studying. It doesn't stop. You, you carry on studying and studying and studying. And we all know as Muslims that you will never leave this world knowing everything about Islam all right I like to think my knowledge is I've only just scratched the surface but there are Muslims out there Imams who have the wealth of knowledge but they'll also say the same thing I still don't know half of it no 
I studied theology at university, and mm. what I found is that the more um, the more questions I got answered, the more that I came up with. Mm. So a bit the same way. There's always something more. So we've got the five pillars, and, and we've we've um, come up with a few things. I, I guess we've only just scratched the surface about what Islam is. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering whether we might just leave it there and, and work out whether we might have another session or whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. And yeah, absolutely. Is, is there anything that um, that you'd like to say that we, that I haven't asked you or to cover just to finish off for today? And uh, I certainly appreciate your time to come in and share. No, all no with problems us. at all. Um, generally, um, I'd like to talk further um, in the future about some of the misconceptions about Islam because a lot of people they are scared when you know that Islam is you know a terrible religion um, and you know and they they feel that you know we are just not some of the nicest people in the world but I'd like to explain you know in in future you know what Islam has done for the community and maybe share with you some some surprising uh, Muslims, people who are Muslim today in the past that you you never even thought, and their contribution to mankind as well. So those are the sort of things I'd like to talk about as well. And um, um, but yeah, if you want to stop right there, I don't mind. It's up to you. Oh well, we've we've um, been going for 38 minutes. We can go a little bit more if you like. No, okay. Um, if I'm correct. Um, our system of numbers is Arabic. I don't know whether that specifically is because of Islam. So, if you could just explain a bit more, sorry. Our numbers, the numbers we use. Are, yes. They're Arabic. Right. So, does that come from Islam or, or was that before then? Well, if you look at... You know, English wasn't around at the time of uh, Islam. Or, no. Uh, no. You know, when Muhammad was around. So, and I know Latin was. I think Latin was around. Oh, Latin would have been. Well, Latin would have been. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, when you look at the numbers, um, they're very similar. I mean, I mean, even um, the zeros and 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 so on, very similar to the to the English ones. But I'm not too sure on that one, so I'll have to get back to you on that. Oh, I'm just just curious because because I, I I have seen. Where our numbers came from, the seven, for instance, had a had a couple of strokes through it. Yeah. I have seen that. Yeah. But I do, but I do know that our numbering system is is Arabic in yeah. origin. I also know that at one stage, particularly in the Ottoman uh, Empire and whatnot, yeah. the, the the Muslim um, Empire was mm. right up there. Yeah. It was one of the greatest things, and we do have a lot of knowledge that we owe to to Islam. It's not like they haven't done anything. Yeah, of course. Um, it's just that they seem to well, in some ways, stop. Um, there's theories about that too, but um, I don't want to go there today. Because no, I mean if if you look if you look at the Taj Mahal, that's a mosque. The Taj Mahal is a mosque. Is it? Yeah, it's a it's a huge tourist place. I thought it was it, a burial chamber. No, well, it was built by a Muslim for his for his wife, but it's a mosque. Was built uh, built by a Muslim? It was built by a Muslim. Oh, I didn't know that. There you go. Well, there you fascinating. One thing that's always found curious is this, this talk that um, a Muslim can have four wives. Okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> so. All right, so um, 
many a times people say to me, Pino, do you want to take a second wife? And I'll say, well, no. And the reason why is that Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put in the Quran, um, he says, you can take two, you can take three, you can take four. All right? You must treat them all equally. But if you cannot, you must only have one. Now, at the time of his prophethood, in his 23 years of his prophethood, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, may peace and blessings be upon him, he had 11 wives, not all at once, but okay. during his 23 years as a prophet. But he would have had four at one time. Okay. Four at one time. Now, the reason why was that when he went to war and that, a lot of the uh, wives got widowed. Their husbands got killed in that war. So there was no way of supporting them. So it wasn't just the prophet who took on these widows. So did his companions. Mm-hmm. So he ended up supporting them. And uh, and he and the, the rule was you to treat them all equally. So if you got one wife and you take a second wife, whatever she has, your second wife has to have. Mm-hmm. So it's only fair. And of course, at the time of Prophet Muhammad, when he went to visit his wives, he would spend an exact amount of time with each one. So the other one didn't get jealous. You know, you stay 10 minutes with her more than me. Oh, how, how could you do that? Yeah. <laughs> oh. one, one was enough. Yeah, so, I mean, it takes an incredible person today, and I have to say, that can take on a second and a third wife and treat them all equally and keep the relationship between the three wives stable. Yeah. You know? I don't th- I don't think I'd want to do that. Uh, I'm happy with one, alhamdulillah. Uh, okay, so um so that's, that's the question of the wives. Um I was, I was, I was gonna ask you another question that's completely escaped me. Oh I suppose one question I could ask you is to is to go back to the, um, the tradition of, of how Islam came about. Right. Okay. So this this is a long subject to talk about, but I, I can narrow it down for you. So. Well, we can make a separate session on that if you prefer. Yeah. If, you, just, want to do, if you want to do it justice. Um. I I, I I can explain it just shortly now. It'd be fine. Yeah. Okay. It'd be fine. Okay. So how did Islam come about? So. Islam actually has been around a lot, lot longer than people know of. Right? So in Islam, we accepted 25 prophets. Though God sent more than that, he sent 124,000 messengers. All right? But um, the prophets, there was 25 of them. And they all pretty much practiced Islam. Now, Islam meaning um, submission to God, mm-hmm. right? And it also has the second meaning of uh, peace. Right. Now, when God sent a prophet to the to his people, he told them to spread um, the message of there's only one God and follow the teachings of that prophet or messenger at the time. So similarly, it's known as Islam, mm-hmm. um, a peaceful religion, religion su- submitting to one God. Now, 
a lot of people might argue with me on this, but we look at the first prophet being Adam. All right. Mm -hmm. Then the next one being Noah. And then the one after that being Abraham. And the one after that would be Moses. And the next one would be Jesus. And the final prophet being Muhammad. So these all these prophets all practice Islam. So if it goes back as far as Adam, you could say, some would argue, but you could say it's the oldest religion in the world. Okay. And the and the message has always been the same. Worship one God. Do not worship any idols. And if you look at the message that Jesus came, he said the same thing. Worship one God. Oh, he, he did it in um, certainly... Um, it's interesting. I wonder whether the, when it came to Adam, whether the, the story... the Have you got a similar story to what's in the book of Genesis about the fig tree and eating the forbidden fruit and all the rest of it? Well, we don't believe in the original sin like the Christians do. We don't believe we've inherited the, uh, the original sin. Well, actually, that's um, not of the Christians. That was a mistranslation. Yeah. <laughs> so. so we all believe, we believe that Adam and Eve, they they, they did their wrongdoing. Yep. And they were, they were casted out of heaven yeah, yeah, right. and um, here on earth. We accept that. Um, but we also believe, and Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it very clear in the Quran that no one is... Uh, no one will burden the sins of another. Right. So whoever commits a sin, that's your sin. No one should um, inherit anybody else's sins. Oh, I like that idea. Yeah. But there is something else he did say. He said, whoever misleads those in this world will inherit their sins on the day of judgment. So misleading people in this life and in this world it's a huge sin itself and the punishment Allah has put forth is that you will take their sins as well for misleading them so what then what happens to those people well Allah knows best hey so so you, you don't get told that like the, 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 you haven't got the Christian idea where you've got well in some circles of Christianity you've got this idea of heaven and hell correct and damnation and the pit of you know whatever mm. Eternal pits of fire or something or other in, in some circles. Mm. Well, Allah makes it very clear in the Quran. The book is divided up to two groups, the believers and the disbelievers. So <clears throat> he makes it very he makes it very clear that that those who believe and do right things uh, and follow and follow the teachings of Muhammad, right? They're granted Jannah, paradise. But those who disbelieve and listen to Shaitan, the, the devil, will be casted into Jahannam. So he doesn't just say it on one page and in one verse. Yeah, it's constantly all the way through. So you get a fair go of being warned that if you disbelieve and you mislead people and you follow uh, public enemy number one, Shaitan, mm -hmm. Um, you'll be casted into uh, Jahannam. Now, a lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't tell people that. And I said, it's not me that's saying it. I said, Allah says this in the Quran, you know. 
So there's no ifs or buts. Fair enough. Um, okay. So uh, what I'm taking for now is Islam's been around since virtually the beginning of time, so it's, it's nothing new. Correct. It's nothing new. It was it was officially known as Islam when Muhammad came. Right. All right. Because um, when he came, he came for all mankind. All right. So he came for the whole world. He came for every race and creed. Whereas if you look at the other prophets, their history shows that they came for their people only. Right, so their people were um, in dire straits, or they were being misled, or um, you know, when I say misled, somebody came along who claimed to be a prophet and put them on the wrong path, and so they were doing all the wrong things. They were eating things they shouldn't have been eating, and they were drinking things they shouldn't have been drinking, and so on and so on. So a prophet had to come along and put them back on the straight path, just for those group of people. But it was only Muhammad, peace be upon him, that came for all mankind. Well, certainly, the Jews didn't. No, well, you see, when the see the Jews, that you know, we all know the history of the Jews who re rejected Jesus, peace be upon him. Yeah, well, that's another story for another day. But yeah. um, um, the other thing that I'm thinking of at the moment is a question that um, has always fascinated me. But there's this talk about that. Um, um, Muslims weren't allowed to borrow money and charge interest or something or other. What's what's the story around about that one? Okay, so this is known as riba, right? And um, Allah makes it clear in the Quran that you're not to, to borrow money, usury, interest, mm -hmm. because it's not your money to borrow in the first place, all right? And you can and people you borrow money to capitalize on, yeah, right? And the, the, the worst thing that can happen to anybody, especially a Muslim, that if he's gone out and got himself a $400,000 mortgage and he dies in a, a year's time or anything and hasn't paid that off, he's left somebody out of pocket mm -hmm. and somebody will then have to you know, pay that debt or that debt, if that debt doesn't get paid, again, it goes in your book for the Day of Judgment. Is you, that right? Yes, it does. So you borrowed a large amount of money and didn't pay it back. Now, for Muhammad, peace be upon him, when he passed away, he still owed money on his armor to a Jewish guy. A Jewish guy made his armor. Is that right? But, alhamdulillah, right, um, his companion, Abu Bakr, went and settled his account, paid it off. Right? So his debt was gone. But we always encourage people not to, as Muslims, not to take out big loans on houses. and Because I've told people at work, I don't have a mortgage. I own everything. All right? And people say, well, if you don't have a mortgage, what do you rent? And I say, well, yes, we're allowed to rent. Well, how are you supposed to own your own house? Well, unless somebody comes to my house and, and says, you've inherited lots of money, I can buy my own house. Or if I save up enough money, I can buy my own house. But until then, we have to rent. But I always encourage people who are not Muslims, 
don't have credit cards. You know, try not to borrow money if you can. But it's it's the Australian dream, isn't it? To uh, to. Well, I don't have a mortgage. I don't own a house either. But um, um, that wasn't quite the way I wanted it. But it's the way it's turned out. And I don't have any credit cards because the the last lot got taken off me. So yeah. So you know, uh, Allah says in the Quran that if whoever goes against uh, his word by having um, usury, he's saying you'll be it'll be like waging a war against Allah. Now, just that verse alone, when you tell a Muslim you're going to get a mortgage and now you you you're going to you want to go to war with Allah, it's it's a very scary thought. So it is forbidden. It is absolutely forbidden. It's haram. So you're not allowed to take out a mortgage? You shouldn't. There are Muslims who do, yeah. I have to admit. Sure. I know many Muslims who have mortgages. Yeah. And I turn around and say to them, please pay your mortgage off very quickly or sell your house. All right. That's the best advice I can give them. But um, nine times out of ten, Howard, it always falls on deaf ears. Oh, I'm sure it is. It's... Um you get people that only follow particular what they want to follow in a, in mm. a religion, and um, no, I don't think that's unique to Islam. It's mm. it's across the board. Um, yeah. Interesting. So, um, but there's nothing against a Muslim wife working, is there? Not really. I mean, if she really, really wants to work, um, you can't force her to not work. If she really wants wants to work. The conditions is if she really wants to work, she can go to work. Or if her husband is unable to work, say like he um, got a disability from working and he's not, not not able to support his wife and kid anymore and, and the wife puts her hand up and says, I want to go to work, she can. There are a lot of Muslim sisters out there who are on their own. Their husbands have passed away and they just don't get enough off the government. They have to go to work. And... Um, so there's no rule saying they don't have to go to uh, they, they're not allowed to work my wife i don't want her to work and she's happy with that so i fully support her so you got children i have one boy yes one boy yeah one son and he's a and he's a good practicing muslim he, 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 i take him to the mosque in the evenings and then in, in the mornings at the weekends when he's not at school i take him to the mosque in the mornings so Alhamdulillah, he's, uh, he's, he's a good boy. Well, of course he is. He's got a good father. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd like to think so. <laughs> so have you been to Mecca? I haven't. Look, I was planning on going last year. Had all the money ready and we was going to go and the COVID came. Right. So now that's put a, a damp blanket on a lot of things for a lot of people. But it's from from some of the Muslims I spoke to, it's been a real life changing experience going to Mecca. Some people experienced some wonderful things um, going there. Moses went to Mecca. Moses did the Hajj. Yeah, he he resided in in North Saudi Arabia. So when he left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, he, he lived in North South Saudi Arabia, and he did the pilgrimage. What what is the significance of that in, in itself? Um, I get that it's in the Quran and, and this mm. is a tradition that 
that um, Muhammad has come up with. As, what is the thinking behind the whole thing? And there's got to be a story behind, a reason for it. Is okay. It a special plot? Does something special happen there? Or well, where the Kaaba is built in Mecca, it is believed that underneath is the the footings of the dwelling place of Adam and Eve. Now, where Abraham was told he was given specific directions by Allah to build that building there. Okay. Now, geographically, when you look where Mecca is and where the Kaaba is, it's right in the center of the world. All right. So you, you uh, is that right? I hadn't, it's correct. I didn't realize that one either. Yeah, it's correct. Did you have a fount of knowledge? You are, yeah. And of course, the Kaaba is undoubt, undoubtedly the oldest mosque in the world, and it was built by Abraham and his son Ishmael. Oh. And right outside, they have the footprints of. Abraham there in a little caged um, pillar so you can look through it and you can see his footprints Crikey, it must be like Central Station mm. over there these days and all these people must be huge tourism <laughs> industry over there yeah so there was there's a lot of history that surrounds the Kaaba itself I'm sure there um, is. because at one time it was taken over by the idolaters and they put lots of statues and things in there to worship but when Muhammad came along, all right, he put a stop to that. And when he reclaimed Mecca back, the first thing he did, he went to the Kaaba and he tossed out all those um, idols. Sounds, there was, there was 365 like, of them. Okay, sounds like a scene from the Old Testament. <laughs> Checking out the idols and yeah. um, destroying Baal and all the rest of it. Um, mm. Okay, so I think that might be enough for today. But that's, yep. um, So thank you very much for coming in and sharing it. Very patient man, uh, considering that I'm not a very good driver of all of this today. That, that's okay. I'd love to come back. Uh, I'm sure we can arrange that. Yeah. Oh, what I should ask you... Yes. If um, anybody wants to find out more about Islam, yes. where, where would they go? So we have a Facebook page. Um, I'm Vice President of Islam Australia. You can go on the Islam Australia Facebook page and there's contact numbers there. There's an email address. Okay. And if you want to find out more, um, yes, you can just make contact with us. Generally, even if you're a brother or a sister, um, we can cater for both. So if, if a, a young girl or an elderly woman wants to talk to a, woman, a sister in Islam, we can arrange that. That's no problems. Okay. Well, thank you very much once again My Mina, pleasure. for your uh, time today and um, keep tuned. We'll be back again.